Greetings, people of Earth. I think you mean Terra, Jim. Greetings, people of Terra. Thank you. This is the Untitled <laughs> Film Project Podcast. I am Jim Chandler, along with Justin Bradford and Jeremy K. Gover. We're talking the last outing, as we know it, of Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. That's a good question. The answer is, we used to be in love. Yeah, she was my girlfriend, only she doesn't remember it because it wasn't her. Because her dad threw her off a magic cliff and she died, and then I lost my temper and nearly destroyed half the universe. And she came back out of the past. There she is. Everyone else who died in the past stayed dead. Not her. Why? Was it the magic cliff? I don't know. That's some freaking Infinity Stone scientist. And some dumbass Earth dude who met a girl, fell in love. That girl died. And then came back a total... Did it live up to all that you'd hoped for? Let's get some initial takes on Guardians. Let's start with Justin Bradford. I loved it. I loved it. I, I know I've only seen it once so far, and I plan on seeing it multiple times in theaters because it is a fantastic Marvel movie. Right off the bat, of all the MCU films, I believe this one has the most heart. This one has the most heart, mm-hmm. make you feel emotions, to build on the characters, to let every character have their moment as well. James Gunn is a genius when it comes to character development and to build a story and to build a storyline. And we see so many of these things coming out now of how he basically developed the backstory of the Infinity Stones just off a whim. Like, oh, yeah, that was me. I kind of you know made so much content for the rest of the MCU after Guardians Volume 1. And you see this throughout to where I think yeah. now when you compare Volume 3 to Volume 2, it makes Volume 2 look like ass. <laughs> <laughs> Because, but I'm not going to argue with you because he did such a wonderful job in this of giving every character more backstory in the mm. final of the trilogy. We had so much character development, which you would expect out of the first one sure. when they come together. But in this version, the the story, the plot, everything we got from Rocket to even Star Lord to Mantis wanting to be more independent to Drax being a father figure, not just a destroyer, to Gamora. Developing into something different, but still appreciating family, but with not the family we know, but the family that she knows now with the Ravagers. Mm. So many aspects of this made me feel great about what we saw, from the emotional part of it to how they had to come together and fought off a different type of villain that I think actually showed more villainy than what we saw out of the first version of Kang and Quantumania as well. <laughs> so I, I really just overall enjoyed the film. The humor, as, as usual with the James Gunn film, was on point. I love the cameos. People love to complain about, well, he just puts his friends in there. Why wouldn't you put your friends in there if they're the friends that you have? Especially if they're good. Especially if they're good and they fit in there. So I just, I love this film so much. It made me feel so many emotions. And it showed to me that the Guardians have been the heart of the MCU. We've seen leaders of the MCU, so many different aspects of the MCU, but the Guardians are the heart in terms of what the characters stand for, what the Guardians stand for overall in terms of the heart and the core of what you're supposed to feel as you're watching a superhero movie. This is Jim, and you took a lot of words out of my mouth. I just adored this film, and I wondered how are they going to wrap up the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they did it in a way that I never anticipated. Uh, I thought the use of the soundtrack was the best that it's been out of the three movies. Thank you, Zune. It's already <laughs> been fantastic. Yes, the Zune <laughs> makes an appearance. Uh, the character development was fantastic. I, I really enjoy it, and I'm just going to mention one that uh, that you didn't mention, which is we even got more Nebula. Yes. Uh, which, I mean, she's always been one of my secret favorite characters, and uh, I, I, I felt 
so much. Like, I was very much, a, you, I'm not crying, you're not crying, we're not crying, you know, uh, <laughs> because I, I think they uh, found a great backstory in Rocket. And I think Rocket stood out in this movie as the best actor. And I'll give it to the CGI, you know, <laughs> really, uh, that, you know, helped flesh out his visually, his character. Um, I, I enjoy this one so much, and I, I, Guardians of the Galaxy has always been, to me, the most accessible to the masses uh, franchise in within the Marvel Universe uh, that I just think it's just so much fun, and it did everything I wanted out of a Guardians movie. Jeremy Gover. Wow. I, you guys sum it up pretty well. I'll just say that I really liked it a lot. I will go see it again. I'm very excited to see it again. But at the same time, it was hard to watch at times. That's a testament to the filmmakers. Yeah. But as an audience member, if you don't see that coming that much, you I think you expect it once or twice, but like three or four different times, that yeah. can be very hard yes. and very, I don't know, it's different. So for that reason, I'm kind of on the fence about everything. Uh, just as much as the movie goes in all kinds of different places in the universe, it also takes you different places in your feels. Which, again, is a testament to the filmmakers. Yeah. But as an audience member, yeah, it's a little tough. And I'm also going to say, it's not a perfect movie. So don't expect the rest of the Untitled Film Project podcast to go as, like, hooray for everything. We do love Marvel. Yes. But... That doesn't mean that everything's flawless. Exactly. It doesn't pull the wool over our eyes and go, who Marvel? <laughs> like, it's not like that, okay? Because we have to be a little more critical now, too, because we're continuing to build a story that has 30 things in it now, too. Sure. So yeah. so it, not everything can be perfect. In the earlier parts, I think, too, things got to pass. Like, oh, they're trying to build something. Yeah. They're trying to put know, something Infinity together. War and Endgame are pretty perfect. They're pretty. Endgame was definitely not perfect. Infinity War is, by all means, way better than Endgame. Oh, okay. Endgame dragged. Put the two together. I know. This is together. a tangent. My point is... No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, no I'm just saying, like, yeah, they do not get a free pass. People may accuse yes. us of giving Marvel a free pass. Yes. And even with me, they don't get a free pass. Definitely him. <laughs> you can just shut up. I'm going to give my one F-bomb here soon, early on in the podcast. It's a PG-13 podcast. Uh, yeah. So, I think, like a... Like a great meal out at a fine restaurant, there's nothing more fun to say. That was that was a great meal, you know. Except that one, the way they cooked that steak, just a little. You know, There's so, too much gristle on my filet mignon. It, let's talk about the gristle. <laughs> That's a pro transition right there. That is a pro segue. Let's do the deeper dive on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Jeremy K. Gover. I try to take expectations out of my review for a film. Okay? So my expectations are my opinion, right? right. That's Okay, so I, I, I'm watching a trailer, for example, and I'm like, oh, that looks like crap. Oh, that looks good. That doesn't impact the filmmakers at all. The filmmakers do not care about what I think is going to be good and what is going to be bad. They're trying to make a trailer for everybody to get the most bust in seats possible. So it's not the filmmaker's responsibility to adhere to what I think is going to be good or not. Take Dungeons and Dragons, for example. My expectation was that it was going to be crap based on the trailer. Yep. I left the theater being like, that was pretty fun. Right? Megan, same thing. I thought, this is not my cup of tea. 
not interested. We decided to do it as a show, and I was like, and then we went, and I was like, that was one of the best movies I've seen in a while. So it happens, (laughs) but I can't use that, good or bad, in my score. Sure. Because it's not, that's, expectations are my problem, not the film. not the creator's problem. Right, it's on me. So, But in the case of Guardians 3, this is where I'm going with all this, in the case of Guardians 3, the expectation was set by the trailer. It wasn't an emotional thing where I was like, oh, I don't care about Dungeons and Dragons. Chris Pine looks like an idiot. I'm not going to see that movie. And then leaving and being like, oh, that was actually pretty fun. It's This is different in the sense that it's, no, this is a goodbye. This is a, a farewell love song for all of our fans. And this is, it's one last hurrah with the... There's nothing in this movie that suggests any of these characters are not going to be seen again. Nothing. <laughs> in... A certain way, yes. Yes. A certain way, no. I'm, yes. Yeah, I'll, but I'll get to my interpretation I of that later. Look forward to that. I just, for me, it was, I was misled in a sense by this. It was a shell game to me by the trailer because they wanted you to think it's goodbye. They wanted you to think someone's going to die. They they got this, these great scenes, which I'll get to later, of of uh, oh, I said Chris Pine, of Chris Pratt, all the Chris, you know, cry, no, <laughs> crying over who we think I thought was going to be Drax because. In public, Drax has come out and said, I'm not doing another Guardians movie. I'm not going revisiting Drax again because James Gunn's not involved. Right. Somebody's going to die. Okay. Well, every one of these characters lit what? <laughs> and what are you chomping at the bit and for? They were aware of this. James Gunn was 100% aware of this because he was toying with us the entire movie. Sure. Be, and by playing with it, look at when Drax got shot when they're in Overcorp. Yep. Yeah. The music was even matching the, oh, God, is Drax actually going to die here this early yes. right. in the film? Yes. Is this going to happen? And you know what? It worked in the movie. Yeah. Because in the, in the seat, yeah. I was like, okay, this is it. Drax is going to die. There's stakes. And then Rocket is going to, maybe not now, but he's going to die on that table. He's on the operating table, and it doesn't look good. And Star-Lord is going to you know, there's all. I was, this is going to be, a th- all these people are going to die, or there's going to be some sort of end, or whatever it is. And at the end of the movie, they're having a big rah-rah session at the end, like, well, I'm going to go my separate ways and this and that. There's no finality to any of it. (laughs) They could easily bring... Now, it may be like Kang Dynasty or something like four or five years away before they, you know, reemerge and, you know, whatever. It may be that far, but there's nothing in this movie that suggests we've said goodbye to these characters. Star Lord is different because I, at the I end think, it says Star Lord will return. That's fine. I'm not talking about and that. And another iteration of a Guardians. Yes, yes, for sure. I, I'm going to debate you on on this one because I say they did have finality of the Guardians as we know yeah. them. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't mean death or that we'll never see these characters again. But in this form, we are not going to see them again. Like so, it, I, so I'm hold on. So I just want one last thing. So I'm not sure. If it's masterful storytelling that goes beyond the film, in which case you should get mad props for that, mm-hmm. or if it's just a marketing campaign publicity stunt. I don't think it's a marketing campaign. I'm not sure which one it is, okay? And that is where I'm wrestling right now. Because if it's a, if it's a, oh, hey, let's all say Drax, or Drax, Dave Batista, just give him credit for who he is. Sure. Dave Batista, you know, you go out and just go out and go in public somewhere and say you're not coming back. As always, thought you do the same thing. And then, you know, I'm going to D.C. It's a natural program. Of course we're going to do it. And then, then they build the trailer the way they do. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's like the story that goes beyond the two and a half hours you're in the theater, which should be applauded. Right. But 
I thought this is going to be it. This is a goodbye. And it was not a good to anybody. So uh, hold on. Think of a sitcom on a TV show or a lot of shows on TV show, yep. on television mm-hmm. where you have your goodbye. They yes. have happy endings. Series finales have happy endings where it's just, I'll take Friends because it's such a popular and pop Will culture. Smith did not stand in the middle of that empty living no, room no, no. in Bel Air, and that was not a happy ending. Thank you very much. <laughs> I but don't think it's growth. Still either. bitter. But it's, but it's yeah. growth. But I'll say Friends because it's such so huge in pop yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay, well, now this is a different, we're still going to be friends, but we're going on to our separate lives of different iterations of our life. Yes. We're reaching a new milestone and these guardians are reaching new milestones. Drax and Nebula are going to be parents. You're saying you would have been better off and not wrestling with this if people have died. If one person had died, you needed a death. I needed one. He needed death. a death. It's so dark. Wow. See have now, I loved the fact. I'm the that Anthony Jeselnik ex- of this podcast. I expected a death <laughs> and cut. didn't get it. And I love the fact that they went somewhere I didn't expect, and I'm fine with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something different because it is final because they're not going to see each other near as often as they would. They were a family before, and now they're all going to be independent. I mean, shoot, even Mantis, who has never been independent once in her life, right. is now going to go off and explore with her new pets. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love the fact, uh, and and what we are kind of doing is we're Tarantino this thing. We've gone to the end of the movie, and we're going to have to go back to yeah. kind of discover some other things. Which, but is a parallel to the Rocket story, actually. Sure, yeah, exactly. I didn't know anything about Rocket until the third movie, and then all of a sudden it filled it all oh, back Jeremy in. Jeremy K. Gover, look at you. Yeah. I'm just picking up what Jim put down. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved that the characters all had a sense of purpose that made sense to their character at that point in time. They may have progressed throughout the movie to get to that point. Like, we did not know that Drax was meant to be a dad. I mean, yes, there were hints of that in the first movie where he explained his origin, mm-hmm. you know, his family was killed. Uh, but in in this film, uh, we didn't know that until it played out. And then his purpose made sense. And it did for all the characters, I thought. Uh, so in that sense, I, I was thrilled there was no deaths, and I was thrilled that they went to <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> a purpose that made sense thematically, for the characters, everything. Thank you for being a ray of light, Jim. Thank you. Uh, you know, sometimes you need a ray of light in an ever-darkening universe. Yeah, Jeremy. And that universe is Jeremy Gover. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs death. Who needs death. To feel complete. To feel complete. <laughs> he needs death. Are you the villain of the podcast? There's four. I think there's four. Four different scenes throughout the film of him in the lab. I'm pretty sure there's four. Could be five, but I'm pretty sure it's four. Those, as an animal lover, were extremely hard to watch. Yes, they were. And again, that just want to double down here. That's a testament to the filmmakers to make a CGI character and no actual animals on screen, I'm sure. I don't think they got a bucket of raccoons and threw them in a cage yeah, for, a, for a B-roll. I don't know. I don't know. So... <laughs> <laughs> or otters and you know whatever else, right? They're all CGI characters. So to make CGI characters that believable to where I have an emotional response, like a vicious emotional response, is a huge testament to James Gunn, the CGI teams, all those things. But and the actors for that matter. Yes. Who voice those characters. That being said, this is why I don't watch dog movies. <laughs> okay. I don't want to go watch Marley and Me. I'm sure they're great. There was one that came out, was it a couple years ago? It was a soldier life. and his, yeah, dog and the, the, yeah, okay. So 
because I know that there's going to be emotion played, and I know I can't handle it. Yeah. So why go see it? Let it be a good movie. Let it be a bad one. I don't have to impact my life that way. I don't have to go to bed for the next two to three weeks vividly thinking about the real-life dogs that are tied up out back, that owners won't let them inside. Yes. They don't feed them enough. They uh, they use them for attack dog. What like all these horrible things? Dogs that dogs that are in cages for their whole life because then they were not adopted. So then they get euthanized. I I don't or want in to, this movie animal testing. Yes, I don't want to think about that. I already know it's a bad thing. Doesn't make me naive. It just make I just don't I don't want to right. So to have it on screen as frequently as it was made it very difficult. It reminded me in a very weird, awkward way about plane. Hold on. Let me go again. Oh, no, no, that no, is go, not go. something I expected. I know Explain. that. But remember, I told you guys, that's the only movie that we've done so far in our 40 or whatever that I've walked out of and then came back in because I could not handle, with my fear of flying, I could not handle the the wet, the lightning, the weather yeah. uh, scenes in the plane. But also, too, when you have the rest of the Guardians watching the film, the testing film. Yes. It how adds tr- another how tr- level How of triggering that is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And again, Trigger, great word. It, it, it triggers them and going, why did Rocket never talk about this? Why would he want to talk about this? Right. Yeah. And it shows more of what Rocket suffered and gone through to develop him into the character that he is. Why he's so angry. Like, why if I don't so want to watch it, well, why would Rocket, who's gone through it, want to talk about it? All yeah. the time. Right? It made perfect exactly. sense to me. Why relive it? And, it's horrible. And how the moment happens, too, where he himself is triggered once his friends have been killed to where all of a sudden the anger pops up because he's just this... Small little animal, very intelligent animal that just is catering to his master and happy to go back in the cage. But then all of a sudden, when he realizes that they're going to be killed because they're not going to the new world, and when his friends are killed, how it snaps in him to where he goes on a spree. Yeah, you sh- you see where that's coming from so much, and that's the character development for a CGI character, James Gunn. Yeah, dude, and CGI teams, and CGI I'm teams. Trying to marry yes. them together because yeah. it's, it's yes. not just James Gunn, but such fantastic writing for Rocket, writing of those scenes. Yeah. to the point that it is triggering. Like Gover said, that's how well done it is. Yes. that it makes you feel what Rocket was going through and feel what his family is now going through as well with him and why it's so important to save him and why it's so important for him to be a captain because he's lived those traumas to make him who he is. And it also reinforces why the high evolutionary is the bad guy in this film because now I think we've built up the you know a a, a friendship with all these characters and a kinship that we're mad on Rocket's behalf mm-hmm. at this villain. So go get them. You know, I, I, as a moviegoer, I think everybody's cheering like, yeah, we're going to save Rocket, but get that guy. All right. Uh, let's talk about some of the other roles uh, that, you know, were a necessary part of this. Pete Davidson. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, actually, that I'm I'm surprised one of them, you know, one of their send offs for their new purpose was to go date Pete Davidson because he's like the rebound of everybody. That would be that would have been awesome. Actually, that would have been probably one of the greatest cameos. Which we'll get to cameos. Yeah, that in a was bit. outstanding. Uh, I loved that we got Gamora back. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that she came back as more of the Gamora that was Thanos's kid than one of the gang. Yes. Okay. 
So her natural tendencies would be more towards the Ravagers, you know, if uh, she had not run into Peter Quill and the rest of the gang. So it made perfect sense that she came back and wanted nothing to do with Peter and was more of the original Gamora that we got. And he's trying the whole movie to say, like, no, 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 I'm really likable. You should really like me. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, not at all. <laughs> she came back at She came back. Uh, did you also find that that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> something you enjoyed, or did you want them to get together? No, 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 no. I, oh. I specifically did not want them to get together, and I'm, I actually applaud them. And they may eventually in yeah. something, but... I love the fact that we got through the whole movie without a kiss, without a holding hands, without any mm-hmm. kind like that was all no sign to that at all. Yes, it was great. But we also saw Gamora grow throughout this because she saw, like I mentioned earlier, them fighting for each other. Yeah. And I was wondering how they're going to wrap it up with her. And so at the very end, when you have her hugging all the different ravagers and they're happy to see her, it's like, well, that's her family now. Yeah. That's who she mm-hmm. cares about, but she learned to appreciate them in a different way because of what she saw from the Guardians, yeah. I believe. So yeah. that helped her character growth. She's not the same Gamora, but she still show, shows what an understanding of family is, and the Ravagers are her family now, and so she loves and appreciates them and would fight for them, even though she fought with the Guardians, but they showed her what it means, even though her character went in a different direction in mm-hmm. the fork. Right. Mantis and, Dr- and Drax, oh. building on what they had started with the holiday special. Love it. Uh, I love that Mantis became, and I'm just going to say it, like, up to this movie, I mean, she's kind of been a, a vegetable, really. I mean, I, 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 she had value. She had, you know, the abilities to manipulate people's emotions. But she was just kind of a, and an extra. She was a tertiary character. sidekick. Yeah. And this one where she finds, like, I'm going to start doing things for myself and take control, and guess what? I am more than what you thought I was. Drax uh, becoming uh, a father figure again, which I think we just forgot about after the first movie. I did. Uh, Yeah, was a beautiful thing. Him able to, uh, you know, connect with the children that were being, you know, that were part of the experiment from the high evolutionary, and, and seeing that, wow, yeah, no, he does. He was a father. He can be a father again to these kids. And that's the purpose of his life after this film, instead of revenge, revenge, revenge. And I love the parallel to Dave Batista, the person as well, his mm-hmm. acting career. So you have Dave Batista, he's a wrestler. Okay. He comes to acting and he kind of does these. And we've talked about it before on the Glass Onion episode. He's kind of like a, kind of a brooding, kind of a. Not, maybe not dumb, but certainly kind of just average-minded, just yeah. body, and he's kind of imposing. You a know, little lunkhead. Right, and he's like, no, no, I, I have more to offer, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. then in Drax here, that's what he, his character is it's very naive and kind of blunt and stupid, you know, whatever. And then he gets around the kids, and they go, you can speak their language? Yep. And he goes, you didn't ask. Right. So it's kind of it's very parallel to his career. Like, you didn't ask me to be anything different. Mm-hmm. Like in Knock at the Cabin. Mm-hmm. What a message. Where he's tremendous in that. Yes. All you ever wanted me to be was this brooding superhero or this big muscle-bound action star guy. You didn't let me do anything else. You never asked me to do anything dramatic. And then I did, and I crushed it like I knew I would. 
And he's yeah. saying all that in that one line, which is, you never asked. Well, nothing Absolutely. goes over his head. His reactions are too quick, and he would catch it. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a callback. I understand that. Uh, <laughs> 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 what do we think of Adam Warlock? I think that's going to be the most divisive amongst fans. Okay, here's where uh, we're going to talk divisive about in this room. This, uh, you know, this this wonderful meal that. Uh, oh yeah, but they screwed up the green beans. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, as as a guy who doesn't know any of the lore, does not know yeah. uh, where those characters came from, mm-hmm. I hated that part of the movie. I hated it. I thought it was the one part of the movie that was poorly drawn out characters. Uh, didn't really know why they were there because I don't know, you know, where in, in comic land this is coming from. Uh, I didn't see the the grand purpose. I, I guess they're going to be more in the Marvel universe, but I thought they were pretty lousy. I thought that's where we kind of got Shazammy on this film. I don't know if I go that far, but I mean, I, I, I somewhat agree with you. What to me, I liked Will Poulter in terms of his. Delivery and what he was given. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't given much. You're right. Though. He wasn't he, given much he and he wasn't given well much screen time. And I feel like some of what happened with Adam Warlock and, and this character in this film was due to the whole fiasco that happened years ago when James Gunn was fired and then rehired and then we had the pandemic. This movie was supposed to come out years ago. Like the whole set behind this movie was years in the making. It was so delayed by, I think, four years. Okay. This film was delayed when you really put it in to where it was, when it was supposed to happen that it was supposed to line up really right with Endgame. Like almost bam, bam. Did not know that. And it didn't happen. And I feel like James Gunn had to bring Adam Warlock back in to introduce him because of how he was introduced before. And they kind of addressed that in here with, well, you got me out of my, my cocoon too early and so I'm dumb. <laughs> they didn't allow enough time uh, to to sear <laughs> in, in in his cocoon <laughs> to fully develop because and it was neat neat that the sovereign were also built yes in the same manner and faction and everything like that too so i i like how they addressed it that way but it doesn't mean i cared for it I feel like that was the weakest part like i think we're probably all going to be in agreement yeah on that that adam warlock was the weakest part but then they helped him grow into He's going to become smart. He's going to learn more about things. He's going to learn more about the universe in general. And hopefully we do get to see more of that because by putting him out there as just a dumb baby with superpowers, because that's really what he was, yes. making awful decisions, trying to impress his mom, That and then she dies, and all of a sudden he's like, well, what's going on now? It, I didn't like that part as much, but because it wasn't much screen time, I give it a pass, even though I didn't care for it. It was... When I, I say when I say I'll let you finish. When I That's say right. pass, I'm like it's not as main part of the story, so I'm like, okay, whatever. I still love the movie, but I'm hoping they give it more definition in future Guardians of the Galaxy movies because there will be, and he's now a superhero. But in terms of overall introducing him, it wasn't the strongest point. They teased him in two in the credit scene, and then they put him in the trailer as the main villain. I mean, they had the highly evolutionary in there too. Yeah. I mean, not, but but he was you know the, the payoff was in the trailer to me. It, he he was completely wasted as a character. Yeah, uh, I to me as a as a person who didn't know he existed before this movie. Yeah, uh, I thought, wow, this is that lets him air out of the great balloon every time those scenes came in. Um, thankfully, the rest of the movie was so good. You right back in as soon as they cut away from him. Right, cameos in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Do you have a favorite, Justin? 
Oh gosh, I am so glad that we got a little bit of Yondu. Yeah, and they're just a brief moment, kind of an Obi Wan type, <laughs> uh, you know, right. ghostly figure, <laughs> sage old man. But it was still really good, right? It was, it was great, and it was in typical Yondu fashion in trying to teach Craglin how to use the arrow. So I do love that. I'm glad we, Nathan Fillion is back. They an actual world where we can recognize him with actual lines. Yeah. So it's it's almost difficult to call it a cameo because it's not like he just appeared. He had a role in, in all three in films film. that I didn't know. Yeah. Until this one where he actually was able to, yeah, Actually speak. in it, yeah. And see his face. <laughs> so him and then, I guess... Don't say it. Don't say what? Go ahead. Don't say what? Well, I want to have an answer that's different than yours. Go ahead. What? Are we not all talking at the same? No, go ahead. What? what, what why said, okay. an answer? Go why okay. are you being like that? Okay. Okay. Well, is already long, this podcast is already long enough. Hurry up. Let's go. You can't lay this, <laughs> da- you can't lay this down without saying who you're talking about. You're talking about me or him? Gover. Me? Yes. Yeah. Howard the Duck is mine. Now go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Howard the Duck was great. The, the, the card game scene <laughs> yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. And it was just thrown in there, but it still shows that everybody sees nowhere as a, as a, as a safe house. I know, know, but you were like, and, awesome. and I was like, she's going to say it. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to drop that. And then I'm, it is hilarious to me how much people hate on James Gunn by having Jennifer Holland, his wife. In things, please. That's the perk of, dude. If I'm a filmmaker, and my wife wants a bit role. She can have a bit role in the yeah. film. Yeah, and she's not bad. Like that's right. the thing. Like, and I know people hate the whole nepo thing. No, but Daniela Melchior also in this. She's the one that plays a hostage. Is he the lead? Is she the lead no. character? Then no. who cares? But it's like you're you're casting your friends because one, they know you. They can take your directing style very sure. well. They know what you expect of them, and they're going to provide something to you. So you're and, getting people you trust. And in they're roles. bit parts. They're yeah, not. And they're like, bit parts. You know. And if you know, if you know the director. I'm going to flip it around. The director knows you. Yes. Right. The director knows exactly what they can get out of you because they know you so well. Uh, the whole nepotism thing, let's just Whatever. say, okay, forget yeah. the nepotism thing. I also think that's that's bull. That came up a little bit with Allison Williams recently where she was talking about it and there was some criticism. Okay. Does nepotism exist in Hollywood uh, y- to a certain extent? To me, this is my theory. Uh, it may get you seen and possibly get you a role, but you have to be good in that role or forget it. Right. Nepotism, like, it's pretty rare that somebody will get a role simply because of who they know. They have to perform. Untitled Film Project Podcast, Time for Scores, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Justin Bradford. Of course you start with me. Why are you doing your finger thing? I don't know. I can't wait for you to hear what you have to say. I'm sure you can. For those who don't know, if you right, we don't share our scores or any feedback before we're in the room and the Nothing. mics are on. We Nothing. don't talk about anything. Right. There's no comments on text messages like, you see that garbage? Or, oh, yeah, that was pretty nope. good, right? It's seriously zero. We're finding out just like That's you right. Are. So I'm yeah. very excited to hear this number. Excited? Is that the word that you're using? Oh, gosh. Go okay, so obviously I really did enjoy this film. There, there were moments to where I felt so much emotion. My eyes were watering. I was cheering to myself. I was fist pumping. I, I love how James Gunn wrapped this up before he goes on to DC and hopefully fixes that whole universe. Yeah, <laughs> but I love we're all he, pulling for you, James. Yeah, I, I love how Please. he wrapped this up and gave every character what they needed, and that is difficult to do when you have a large cast. It is extremely difficult to do when you're wrapping up a trilogy. 
that has characters that have gone in different directions when you have characters that have been directed by different directors when yeah. they've appeared in other films and yeah. you have to you know cover up for what they might have done that you maybe didn't agree with but they did it for the sake of the story and so many like that takes a lot of collaboration and a lot of genius and great storytelling and great writing to be able to pull that off strategic as well. thinking lots yeah. of strategic thinking and how to wrap up a character's point in this iteration of a film i love how we had some side characters to help build it along, like Craglin getting his little moment as well, too. Yep. Still trying to... Is that nepotism? His, <laughs> channel his, <laughs> his inner Yondu as well. Uh, the relationship between Craglin and Cosmo. I love the good dog, bad dog thing. Like, it was very that, small. That was, that was a great running But it was, it was a Super. total dog moment. A dog that is extremely intelligent, yes, has yep. superpowers. But yep. it was like, just just take it back. Just, just take it back. <laughs> um, but then you also, and the animal thing as well, you are cheering on Cosmo in terms of holding... The two spaceships together as well. It's like, come on, Cosmo, you can do it. Right. Like you're feeling emotion for a character that we haven't had much of any experience or exposure to, aside from being held up by the collector, and then also in the holiday special. That's really it. Yeah. When it comes to Cosmo, but we got a very nice introduction to Cosmo in being a role player in Nowhere and of the New Guardians as well. How they introduce that. How Groot. We finally understand what Groot's saying at the end, mm-hmm. and I was just like. Ah! <laughs> like, why are you shaking your head? It was an eye roll moment for me, but go ahead. Why was it an eye roll moment for you? I'll get to it. Okay, okay. I have my score, okay. too. I was just saying, you bet the, you got it Yeah, thanks, thanks. But just like how Gamora finally understood what Groot was saying, we, the audience, who have been with him on this journey, understood what Groot was saying. I appreciate that as a fan. I appreciate that as someone who experienced the movies and you've grown with the characters and you watched the movies and you appreciate that as well. Soundtrack was incredible. I thought, especially compared to Ant Man Quantum Mania, the CGI was was great. <laughs> yeah, they clearly with, spent more of their time doing this clearly, than that one. Clearly, which is unfortunate. And how it was how how basically there were therapy sessions with a lot of these characters as well with each other, especially with Quill and how important it was for him to go back to Earth to see if his family was still there to reconnect to continue to, for him to grow as well because he knows the Gamora thing's not going to happen right now and he's accepted that and he feels like he has growth in other ways. And how he addressed his temper problems with what led to the end of the universe yeah. as we knew it for a while, too. Which I think came out where James Gunn is like, of course you had to blame it on Star-Lord. <laughs> and he had to address that very minorly in an elevator. <laughs> well, you know, almost you know, end of the world because my temper couldn't control it because when she was killed. But I do like how they addressed so much of the character building between him and Gamora. And they didn't make it cliche like, oh, they do get together and he fa- she falls in love with him again. That wasn't the, that shouldn't have been the case, and I'm glad they didn't go yeah. that route. She's a different person, completely different, and I love Nebula's character arc as well too. Every single character got what they needed, and that's why I love it, and I give it a nine. Very high score, nine out of ten. It is an elite MCU movie for me now. Whoa. Okay, so just for clarity, you're saying it's the best movie you've seen in 2024, uh, 2023. You're saying it's the best movie you've seen in 2023. Aside from Air, yeah. Did you give Aaron nine as well? I gave Aaron eight point five. I believe. See, well, then it's the best movie you've seen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because you've been chomping at the bit, please, Jeremy, take over. Okay. Score this. Gover's talk overall very positively about this, except for maybe one or two things. I'm going to predict he's going to give it a seven point five. We'll see. The acting performances were far and away some of the best I've seen in the superhero genre. Mm. Chris Pratt and Palm Clementief. Clement, 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 Palm Clementief. Uh, that's if say it with confidence. I had, to re- I had to research it before we got here. <laughs> Palm Clement TF in particular were outstanding. They were outstanding. Loved it. 
Nebula was great as well, you know, of course. But those two in particular stole the show for me because mm-hmm. I don't expect to see that kind of range in a superhero film. Right. Okay. Uh, the chemistry of the cast radiates from the silver screen out into the audience. It's very apparent they love working together. And, I, you know, even if it's fake, I still believe that they love working together. So yeah. it's a testament to the movie there. They've used a review in the post-release trailer saying it's the best Marvel movie since Endgame. That's ridiculous. Spider-Man No Way Home, Wakanda Forever, Shang-Chi, these are all movies that were in this phase post-Endgame. Yes. They're, this is not better than any of those. Just <sighs> So let's just be real about that. It is, however, the best of the Gar- three Guardians movies. I think it is the best of the Guardians movies. Some of the characters, as I said earlier, were completely wasted. I would have loved to see more Cosmo, but I also am willing to know that as a dog guy, I, that's my opinion. I, he, Cosmo, <laughs> what more do you want from Cosmo? Co- no, I, just, I would like to have seen They're the geniuses, not me, dude. I don't know. Whatever you would Cosmo like to would do, what, I would have liked to have seen You're going to get more Cosmo in a future film. Right, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, but, but I don't. I would have liked to see, this. see more Cosmo. But I thought Adam Warlock was completely wasted. Uh, it was very hard to watch at times, like I said. And lastly, I honestly left the left the theater thinking, if I'm not an MCU fan, if I'm not an MCU fan, I'm just going to see it because it's a big blockbuster movie, first of the summer, you know, whatever. Yeah, I could have skipped it. Seven point Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if the microphones didn't catch that, Justin Bradford said he hates Jeremy so much. Which is a normal utterance on this show. Yes. So, yeah. But you know what? It's the same kind of hate we talked about between family of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, it is. Um, there's love with that hate. There is. So this I is Jim. So. Is there? <laughs> Now you're giving me pause to think. <laughs> is there? Because, I mean, I probably would have put him in the same place that... <laughs> Mantis put all the uniforms in in the vacuum chamber. It flushed it out into the universe. <laughs> okay, well, while Jim gives his score, I'll float away. <laughs> okay, so uh, I came into this. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is, you know, uh, of the sub-franchises, one of my favorite uh, of all time. Uh, it was a revelation when I saw the very first Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I'd never seen uh, a movie like that. Uh, it was just incredible, especially the way they used music, the the wit, the banter, uh, the pacing, the world building. Uh, I I the original just I'm I've been in ever since. Uh, this one I'm gonna have to separate out my fandom from this movie because I would give it a nine in my fandom for this movie. And how happy this movie made me. But to look at it critically, uh, there was a few problems with it. So there was the whole Warlock stuff, which uh, to me was done poorly. Um, in Especially in regards to everything else that was done so well, it just stood out and knocked probably a point and a half off this score uh, you know, just with that alone from the 10, okay? Uh, there was a couple of other things. Uh, you know, the high evolutionary as a villain. Uh, I thought it was a great villain until the end when he just turned into a lot of villains who just get pissed off and start screaming, mm-hmm. okay? So uh, not the greatest villain. Uh, started off really well, but didn't end well. Ended as a cliche, I think. Uh, the... 
production design and the graphics. I loved all of it except the world where the high evolutionary has created a society and they're floating in space where it's organic. I found ugly and unsettling. Kind of like Nickelodeon cartoons of the 90s. Okay, let's look Great at parallel. Look at Rugrats. <laughs> they're ugly. They're misshapen. There's hairs coming out. They're walking on things that look like skin with like follicles coming up. Is it was gross. Um, so like that is part of the problem I had with this movie. Maybe just a a hair too long, but not much. They had a lot to fit in. They had ten pounds of content to put in an eight pound bag. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, so it felt a little crammed in there. So with all that being said, um, my nerddom and fandom and love of these characters would have given it a nine. Critically, I'm giving it a 7.5. Oh, I thought you were going to float away, bastard. Every episode of the Untitled Film Project podcast, pretty much, uh, involves the big question. The big question. We're all animal people here. We all love animals. We all own animals, I believe. Right? Yes. So, and uh, name two underrated animal movies. You can take underrated however you want. Uh, let's start with Bradford. Oh, God. Why me? Okay. okay. We'll start with no, Jimmy. No, no, I can't. I'll oh, go. okay. Oh, no, right. I'll go. I'll go. I'm trying oh. to give you time. I'll go. I'll go. Ice Bud for the... Never, never mind. <laughs> Ice Bud. <laughs> Sorry. For the hockey playing gold retriever? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this one is going to be more nostalgia, and I'm not even sure if it's underrated because if you're someone that grew up in the 90s, mm-hmm. you have a direct connection to this movie. Okay. And that is Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. I love this as a kid. I still say some of the quotes from this movie, even as a man nearing 40. <laughs> I will say some things just... I love the voiceover actors in this film as well. I mean, you have Michael J. Fox. You have yeah. Sally Field. I mean, that's that's fantastic. They're great. And, and it's just the, this journey of these animals that were left behind accidentally to find their family as they moved across the country, basically. And I, I love the, the one of the closing lines, the turkey, 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 turkey. Michael J. Fox <laughs> as Chance, uh, the dog, was, was absolutely fantastic. And it's definitely a nostalgic thing because if you watch it now, you're probably like, oh, this is... Was What's not, the big deal this about is not this? the best. Mm-hmm. But how so many millennials have a connection to this movie because it's sad and you expect it to be sadder, but they don't die. And that's what's important is that you don't have that mm-hmm. trauma yeah. of them dying. They, they play it off that maybe one didn't make it because it's an older elderly dog, but no comes up over the hill and like, he made it. Oh, my God. Like, it is a feel good movie. And that's why I consider it maybe underrated because it's not talked about as much overall in terms of animal movies. But as a millennial, love the movie. Second one, this is why I said animated uh-huh. because I really do enjoy this. And I know it has pretty high ratings and it's not that old, but I love Zootopia. It's a pretty funny oh, movie. Zootopia, is, Zootopia is, is incredible. And I hope we get more of it in the Disney parks because I feel like there's opportunity there to grow a world of what it would be like if animals had it, just like they have it in Zootopia, that you could explore and you could have it as a playground or a way you could explore. It doesn't have to be a ride. It could just be an experience mm-hmm. at a theme park as well that you could really grow upon that. But if there's so many Disney movies out there, I don't know if it gets talked about as much 
I maybe don't see it, but I love the movie. I love the characters behind it. I love how they've built it for every single animal yeah. and the type of climate they would live in, how it's also this, a detective movie as well. It's a different kind of take from what you'd expect what on kind a of Disney jobs movie. Have. Yeah, what kind of jobs they all have, the expectations falling into society, the prey and predator thing that they're battling. I really just enjoy Zootopia. I would not put it in this category because I was not thinking about animated movies in my own personal opinion, yeah. but I would definitely put it on one of the most underrated Disney movies of all time is Zootopia, sure. for sure. It's so good. I love it. And no one ever talks about it. All right, Jimmy, go ahead. What you got? I, uh, I, <laughs> this is funny because I didn't know about this movie and I learned of this movie from another movie. <laughs> Watching uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent yes. with uh, Nicolas Cage, he and Pedro Pascal's character bond over film. Okay, and they're talking about foreign films. They're talking about films that are, you know, 90 years old that are considered classics. And then they truly bond over the film Paddington 2. Oh, (laughs) yes. Paddington 2. What? I cried through the entire thing and made me want to be a better man. Paddington 2 is incredible. I told you. So once me and my family saw this movie... We had to rent Paddington 2, and I hadn't seen Paddington, and uh, like, okay. Were you lost? I was not lost. Okay. It was, <laughs> I, it was very accessible to me. <laughs> oh, right. And absolutely loved Paddington 2. Uh, the movie has incredible heart. The character has what, you know, some characters in, you know, animated, th- it's like a SpongeBob, this, this, you cannot stomp the goodness out of this character. It is really funny. It's got some great actors in it. Hugh Bonneville is the dad in that series, and you know him from, uh, you know, so many great things. I loved Paddington 2, and the fact that both those actors called it out, I think because <laughs> they tapped into something that a lot of other people had, which is, like, this movie is really good. Mm-hmm. The next one that I'll present to you is actually a documentary. And while it was not underrated by critics, I don't think a lot of people saw it. And you can watch it on Netflix now. It is My Octopus Teacher. I've not seen this. I have not seen it. Uh, This movie is going to grab you like you're not expecting to. Uh, It is a documentary. It's the story of a guy who lives near a coral reef. Okay, and he is going through a depression personally. He's got a crisis, and he starts diving, and he does it with cameras, and he comes across a baby octopus. This octopus doesn't want any part of him, but through his familiarity of keep diving, the octopus is allowing him into the octopus world slowly but surely, and they become familiar. They become comfortable with each other over a long period of time. It's earned. And what we learn about this octopus and what it's like to be an octopus and how it interacts with this guy who is using this octopus as therapy is amazing. You will learn things about the intelligence of an octopus that will blow your mind. Some of the things that they they do to survive are incredible. 
So please do not pass on my octopus teacher, Jeremy Gover. Are you watching that this weekend, I mm-hmm. guess? Tell me your animal movies. The Adventures of Milo and Otis, 1989, mm. is on my list. It's one of my favorite kind of, I'll call it a family movie. Yeah. It's favorite classic. family movies of all time is The Adventures of Milo and Otis. I actually have the movie poster somewhere oh. in my attic, like the actual 27 by 40 theatrical movie theater poster in my so, attic rolled up somewhere uh it, it's awesome and then cats and dogs from 2001 which is with jeff goldblum you're gonna have to oh, remind wow. me because wow. i i <laughs> maybe i saw it maybe i didn't so it's uh it's animated in the sense that it's real animals but with the you know the mouth is animated you know sure. they look like they're talking whatever mm-hmm. and they can't speak to humans the story is so fun Child actors, not so good. But the the actual story is entertaining and fun to watch. It's not overly long. It's funny and campy because it's you know it's, it kind of knows what it is. Sure, that's fine. But it's really enjoyable, and it takes that dogs versus cats, like you know dog people versus cat people. It takes it to the next level, and it's so so funny and so fun to rewatch. Tommy McGuire is also a voice in it. Yeah. So cats and dogs from two thousand one. Check it out. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Untitled Film Project podcast with Jeremy K. Gover, Justin Bradford, and myself, Jim Chandler. It's a pleasure to come to you in your ears, wherever you are. Uh, This is really a good time. Uh, So much fun. Guardians of the Galaxy, a blast. Animals, who doesn't love animals? If you don't like animals, I don't like you. If you don't love animals, go see this movie because you won't. It won't affect you at all. <laughs> or maybe you'll leave loving animals. I don't know how. Right. I don't know. But it's. But if you don't, you're a soulless bastard. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett. The Untitled Film Project podcast is presented in cooperation with iHeartRadio.